Welcome back to The Build Podcast. I'm Blake Bartlett, a partner at OpenView. We're here to help software founders and operators identify and unpack sustainable growth strategies in the ever-changing world of SaaS. Today, we hear from Astha Malik, Zendesk's VP of go-to-market strategy. When it comes to product marketing, Astha has an unrivaled background, having led product marketing at Zendesk, Sumo Logic, PagerDuty, and more. In today's episode, we unpack the role and impact of product marketing at all stages of company development and how to think about building a product marketing team, including pro tips on finding the right leader for your company. All that and more on this episode of Build. So let's dive in with Asta Mullen. Well, Asta, thank you so much for joining us here on the Build podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, the goal for today is to talk all about product marketing, an area that you know very, very well, probably better than most. And I I think as a first starting point, it'd be really helpful just to jump into the background of product marketing, at least for, for my sake. So maybe first off, just for my benefit, what is the purpose and impact of product marketing from your view? I might be a little biased here, but I think ultimately the goal of product marketing is to fuel revenue growth. I'm not saying that that's the case in every organization, but it should be and it could be, right? Product marketing can be a very high impact role in all sizes of organizations. And I think, again, if you just break down the two words, product and marketing, right? The product marketing folks need to be an expert in both the product and the markets. And hence, I think, you know, should play a much bigger role or a part in defining the go-to-market strategy and the motions for the organization. And again, I think this should be sort of like thought about as a partnership between product marketing, product, and the sales teams in an effort to, again, like, you know, as companies are growing or scaling, no matter what stage that they are, as they're re-engineering the product, right, the product marketing teams can help them with that and ultimately re-engineering the conversations alongside. And what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about product marketing? I think, you know, product marketing, if you look at the various disciplines of marketing, it might be considered maybe relatively newer discipline. When I say new, of course, it's like, you know, (laughs) not like born yesterday, but at the same time, you know, it's not as old as Marcom, right? So there are definitely some misconceptions and, you know, the role itself and the scope of product marketing can be on a wide range of spectrum, right? So it can be from content creation to sort of like, you know, order takers for launches to actually catalyst in driving strategy and fueling the growth for the organization. So I think, again, most organizations are hungry for a partnership where PMMs can step in and represent the voice of the customer, the market trends, and ultimately help efforts ranging from finding maybe even product market fit if you're earlier in your stage as a company to establishing ownable territory, scaling the business, identifying adjacent markets, category creation, and so much more. So I think, you know, it's so much more than just running point on product launches. Unfortunately, a lot of organizations still tend to do that. I'm so glad you point to that because I know working with founders and working with startups, one of the challenges that I experience with product marketing is you kind of need to have the first question be, what do you mean by product marketing? Yes. <laughs> because there are so many different definitions and perceptions of what the the practice and discipline is. And so getting on the same page and making sure that your definition is the same as my definition is incredibly important. Yep, 100% agree. 
So how do you measure success for a product marketing team or org? Yeah, I think that's a hard thing to do, to be honest, right? So measuring success, proving the ROI of the efforts for product marketing has always been hard. So my approach has been to align your goals with the goals of the stakeholders that you're serving, right? So for example, you're working very closely with the product team, right? And again, defining the market strategy. So why don't we actually sign up for the product adoption goals, right? So if you're going to be point person for the market strategy and the product launch, then you should sign up for those goals. And I think that is a great way of creating that partnership and the validation and credibility within the organization. I also think that, you know, product marketing ultimately is setting the foundation for the marketing strategy. So even if you're not the ones who are running all the campaigns, but you're helping establish, again, the target markets, the messaging, the differentiation, then shouldn't you also be owning the outcome of the campaigns? So, you know, as you're working with your marketing teams, again, identifying how to then target these customers or prospects, then I think you should have a part or sort of like, you know, a goal associated with the success of those campaigns and outcomes there. And then last but not least, also from a sales perspective, again, you're not on the floor actually selling the product, but maybe this is more in the form of enablement and productivity. And ultimately, if you even have like, say, a specific product assigned to you and you're running on point as the product marketing lead on that product, then, you know, the success of the product in the form of the sales goals and achievement, et cetera, should be tracked as a part of your OKR. So again, I think, you know, ultimately having a measurable outcome like that gives a clear purpose to the team. I found it that it actually motivates the team. It aligns you closer to the overall business goals. And this just creates sort of like, you know, better credibility and ROI for the marketing work. Well, and and that idea of goal alignment is also a great sort of answer to the challenge that we just talked about before, which is what is the definition of product marketing in your view? And this idea of goal alignment, or I kind of think about it as jobs to be done. What is the job that needs to be done by product marketing, which we can define by a specific goal of the stakeholder, and that helps to create that alignment and sort of get ahead of that sort of misperception issue that might happen in product marketing. So I I really like that as a way to cut through. Yeah, agree. So unpacking product marketing and what this might look like kind of in real life for folks listening to this podcast right now, I thought a good way to break it down would be to think through what do you need from product marketing at different stages of a company development, you know, early, mid stage, Mm -hmm. late stage. And so maybe if we start with the early stage to begin with, you know, when a company is maybe zero to $10 million of of ARR. When should a startup in that position hire their first product marketing person? Yeah, I just have to say, this is a really interesting question. And if you ask someone who leans more towards demand marketing or growth marketing, you'll get a completely different answer. But my perspective is that, you know, when you're at an early stage and you mentioned, let's just say it's between zero to 10 million, right? That's sort of like, you know, your definition for the purpose of this conversation. I know at that stage, most companies are still trying to establish their product market fit, right? So I believe that as soon as you hire your demand gen person, I would argue you need to hire a PMM alongside, right? And I realize that again, at this stage, you don't really have all the resources. You can't hire multiple VPs, totally understand that. But I think you are probably also still working with the first few customers. And there is this huge opportunity to learn on what's working, what's not working, that can really help shape the product strategy, the market strategy, and ultimately your campaign strategy from there, right? So I think from that perspective, you know, just making sure that you have 
a product marketing person and maybe they lean a little bit more towards research and content creation. So, you know, someone who could come in and, you know, just stay in touch with the customer, the changing marketing or market trends, you know, and then also instead of, you know, your demand gen team relying on maybe the stale playbook from another company, you can actually use data to inform decisions and meaningful decisions and guide the whatever limited investment you have available for marketing. So I just think that, you know, ultimately it'll help you direct the limited dollars, limited resources in a more meaningful way. And, you know, it's just more efficient for organizations. So, you know, I'm also thinking at this stage, you have a very small sales team. So it's also important to have consistency in the messages that are going out to the market from your company, right? So if there's a product marketing person, they can make sure that everything that's going out from the demand gen funnel to, you know, through sales enablement, your brand identity is not getting diluted in sort of like, you know, these formative years and the messages that sales and marketing are, are delivering to your customers are consistent. And I think product marketing can really help establish that. And super specific follow-up question, just to make sure I'm clear on it and our audiences as well, in mm -hmm. your view. So what's the relationship between product market fit and hiring a, a product marketing person? Can you sort of do it before you have product market fit? And will that help you establish and find product market fit faster? Or, or is it really best to wait until you have that product market fit? I think it really, it, it depends and it can be done both ways. And another you know recommendation, keeping that in mind is that at this stage, it might even make sense to have the product marketing person report into the product organization, right? Because the product teams are also in, you know, their formative years, they're learning about the customers, how to actually shape that strategy. And they're not thinking 10 years at this point, right? They're thinking, what, what are people responding to? What are people reacting to? So there's ambiguity, there's agility that's needed. So from that perspective, I think, you know, you can actually bring in a product marketing person who can be part of the product org and can help shape that product market fit, even if it doesn't exist today. Okay, perfect. Makes a lot of sense to me. And so when you know that it's time to hire this, this first product marketing person, and you're moving to actually writing that JD and writing the spec and starting to, to look for candidates, what should you look for in that first product marketing hire? Yeah, I think I mentioned this briefly. It's going to be really hard for you. Again, limited resources, limited reach of the company at this stage to get someone you know, who's just a pro in all aspects of product marketing. So again, to get the most value and, you know, the most meaningful outcomes early on, I would say get somebody who's been in sort of a role where they've been in touch with customers, right? You need somebody who can bring that voice of the customer back to the table in front of the product leaders, in front of the marketing leaders. So somebody with that aptitude, and, you know, I've also seen many a times, you know, folks wear multiple hats in a smaller organization. This could be someone who's done a success type of role in the past and, you know, is trying to sort of like, you know, just articulate again what they're seeing in the market and bringing it back to the table. But then you have to also have or pair that with some ability to create messaging and content that your teams can ultimately start using. Again, the scale is small, so you might be able to find someone with that you know, mix of you know, the ability to reach out to customers, learn from them, and then translate that into messaging that your teams can use and relay back to the customer. Okay, perfect. And so the next step is the person's in seat. You've made your first hire. Mm -hmm. What does the first 
100 days look like for your first product marketing hire? And what does the first year look like? I guess that gets a little bit more into what you talked about before of the definition of success. But what does it look like in these sort of first critical days of product marketing? Yeah, I think going back to, again, the profile that we talked about, if this person is able to create some sort of like a market scope document, right, that just talks about the emerging market trends is able to sort of like, you know, do the market mapping in terms of, you know, the various areas or various markets and positions a company could take and what that landscape looks like, maybe even from a competitive perspective and really form meaningful set of like, you know, data and information that presents choices back to, you know, the product team and the sales teams. I think that would be a big goal, in my opinion, in the first, say, even like 90 days. The other thing that sort of like, you know, is is a continuation of that or an extension of that is then how do you then create once you've established at least, you know, your first sub-market that you want to start creating your position in, then how do you establish the ideal customer profile in that? So I think those seem like, you know, things that of course you need to do, but if you prioritize that, I think that's where you can drive a lot of focus in the org because in a startup, that can be a hard thing to do, right? You're just, again, sort of listening to the market, you'll hear a hundred things. How do you narrow down and start somewhere get success, and then sort of like, you know, expand into the lookalike categories. So to me, if the product marketing person is able to do that market mapping exercise and create that ICP, I think that would be a great win, again, in sort of like, you know, making sure that the marketing teams overall and the sales team know where to focus and they're not wasting their time on things which ultimately will not be something that the company would pursue long term. That's a perfect summary to me of what you need to think about kind of in this earlier stage of a company's development as it pertains to to product marketing. And then I guess if we move to the next phase, you know, the I'll call it the mid stage from the Mm -hmm. early stage and, you know, a company that's arguably between 10 and 100 million dollars of ARR and kind of growing through that that sort of phase. You know, when do they know that it's time to hire a VP of product marketing and kind of build a proper department around the function? Yeah, I think, first of all, 10 to 100 is a long journey, right? A lot of things change. I think if you look at that range, you know, a $10 million company looks very different from the one that's approaching 100. So let's just assume for this conversation, because we've already talked about like, you know, the early, early stage that, you know, this is more about the company has establish the product market fit, right? You have enough validation. And now you're thinking about, well, how do we continue to fuel the growth? What does the future really look like for the company? And, you know, what are the right investments to be made? So this is also a really, really easy or, you know, this the prime time for companies to get distracted. Because if you think about, you know, you've got the product market fit, you've got, you know, your first a few set of customers that are paying you enough money and, you know, you've got the confidence that this company is, you know, off the ground. And now it's just about scaling and execution. And your first few customers can be your hardest customers, right? Because they will, they will almost like, you know, take advantage of the fact that you're new. You are going to be listening to them a lot more than any other established company out there in terms of what they need. And, you know, they can not just influence you, but almost force you sometimes to shape the strategy, your product strategy, especially. And I think that's where product marketing can play a very, very important role, right? Instead of providing distractions with maybe a couple of use cases or product needs or features requests or anything that you're hearing from the customer that can deviate from, again, the long-term focus of the company, they can, you know, they can, again, 
help reestablish that focus. So I think companies at this stage, like I said, have a tendency to say yes, because they're like, well, we are afraid to lose our first few customers. We can't do that. But I think, you know, if you build a solid PMM team at this point in time with a seat at the table, they can continue to reinforce the mission, articulate the choices that, you know, we uh, as a company have in front of us. And, you know, what does it mean in terms of like, you know, quantifying those opportunities and the opportunity costs, right? So, you know, what still makes sense, what is still relevant for the company, where to say yes and where to say no. So I think Product marketing can have a very influential role. But again, for that, you need sort of like, you know, that discipline at the table and listening to sort of like, you know, again, what are the long-term objectives of the company instead of getting distracted by maybe one or two asks. And frankly, at times, be be maybe the person who actually helps the company say no to a couple of choices and decisions, even if, you know, they have like a high dollar attached to them because, you know, that just causes maybe you know, short-term efficiencies, but long-term inefficiencies. So that that is a role that I think product marketing can definitely play. That's really powerful, you know, kind of back up to one of the first questions I asked you, which is what is the, the role or the purpose and the impact of product marketing? I hadn't thought about the impact of product marketing being around avoiding distraction and sort of being the remedy to a startup's tendency to say yes to everything. So that's a really really interesting kind of clarifying sort of role for for product marketing at this stage. That's great. And if you're looking to build out that, you know, kind of proper department and bring in the VP of the department, what should you look for in a VP of product marketing? Yeah, I think at this point, you probably want to invest, you know, in somebody who's done this before, right? So invest in someone and, you know, you've got choices, you always will have choices. And I can't speak to all kinds of scenarios, but, you know, essentially you can go down the path of one, getting in somebody from maybe a larger company, you know, who's actually seen that kind of scale, who's been a part of, again, that journey where, you know, uh, they were influential in like helping make the decisions. And like I said, no, almost like, you know, be, be the person who helps say is no to the choices that the company is going to make. And, or you can get like, you know, someone who's sort of like, you know, again, played a broader role. Um, and maybe another startup. And, you know, I think sometimes we get too hung up on domain experience, right? And and I might have a different view again here than others. But, you know, one of the things that I've heard time and again is people interview. And even when my team is interviewing, they're like, oh, this person didn't really have direct industry experience or domain experience. And I'm like, well, that doesn't matter. I think, you know, you can teach those things unless you have a very specialized and a highly technical product. To me, what matters is like, you know, do they have deep experience in product marketing, period, right? Of course, somewhat relevant to what you're doing, but not exactly maybe in the same category or the same space that you have. But I think, you know, you you almost have to anyway, right? Unlearn a lot of things. If you're a good product marketer, you're coming in with the assumption that my previous playbooks are probably not going to work here. What's going to work is if I'm able to get a deep understanding of the market and the customers. So to me, you know, getting those things in order and then finding that person is what I do. And what do you think are the biggest things that a product marketing department needs to own and deliver at this kind of mid-stage of, of 10 to $100 million of, of ARR? I know that there's a lot of things that happen in that very wide sort of range of revenue numbers, but... But generally speaking, what should the department own and, and what does success look like? Yeah, I think, again, depending on, again, you know, who your customers are, which industries you're targeting, 
the approaches might be different. But let's not underestimate the role of product marketing in helping the demand and the growth marketing teams really refine their strategy. I think at this point in time, in addition to you know the, the conversation we had around having a seat at the table and really helping you know, reinforce the focus and, you know, presenting choices and like, you know, it shouldn't come as like, oh, I think we should do this, but in the choices in the form of the voice of the customer or the market data that help you validate certain decisions. That's one, of course. And then on the other hand, it it is again important to, you know, as your demand gen machine is scaling, you know, this person can actually help elevate the conversations because I'm pretty sure zero to 10, you're having conversations around, you know, the products and capabilities, right? And they, they can be very feature centric. They can be very tactical type of conversations. And, you know, now is the time to transition to tie into certain initiatives that, you know, your customers are trying to drive and helping up-level that conversation through the channels of sales on your website, through demand gen, et cetera, is going to be a big part of the role. And I think that's how you show that the company is maturing, that your product is maturing, and that you have a bigger story to tell in the market. So I think, you know, your storytelling ability has to evolve from tactical product conversations to meaningful conversations around the initiatives and the problems that you're trying to solve, the jobs that your customers are trying to do. And, you know, if you're able to then tie them to the ultimate business imperatives, right? And every company has like four or five imperatives and some of them are common across the board. They can be cost saving, they can be efficiency, agility, whatever those are and customer experience, of course. Then if you're able to tie to those bigger imperatives, that's a bonus, right? So I think this is this is the formative stage of like transitioning from tactical conversations to more strategic conversations with your customers. So back to our startup journey from early stage to mid stage, we just closed that one out, brings us to late stage, which we'll call kind of $100 million of ARR and beyond. And so let's say a company in this stage is planning to go public in the coming months. What are the most important product marketing priorities for a company at that stage? I think it's like almost you're coming out of a shell, right? It's private company. Of course, your customers know you and uh, there's a decent understanding in the community that you operate. But going public is like, you know, suddenly you're getting exposed in the public markets and there's going to be more questions. There's going to be more scrutiny. You have to almost like, again, revalidate your position as a lasting company, right? As an enduring company. And for that, one of the first things that comes to mind is like, what category do you really play in, right? Is that a is that a sustainable category or not? And, you know, having been through sort of like, you know, some of those transitions and journeys before, even at PagerDuty, right? We had to rethink, where do we play? Which category do we actually associate ourselves with? And there wasn't really a perfect fit, right? And we didn't want to force a fit. So we thought, you know, we should actually create our own category. And we did. We created digital operations management and we had, you know, a bigger and a broader story to tell around that. But it's a hard thing to do. You know, you really have to know if, you know, you're you're going to be in the business of category creation or you're going to be in the business of like, okay, there's an existing category and we just have to drive differentiation. This is a hot topic with a lot of founders that I spend time with, which is category creation. And um, so we can do a little mini deep dive into category creation. So you alluded to it a little bit with your PagerDuty experience, but how do you know if it's time for you to create a new category and really sort of flex that category creation muscle versus you know, focusing on differentiation within an existing category? How do you make that determination? 
I think there are a lot of leading indicators for that. One is, you know, you, as, as you talk to customers, if your customers are constantly confused, like, so are you this kind of a technology or are you that kind of a technology? That means they're not able to specifically pin you down in a certain category, right? So that's very telling because, of course, they're the ultimate users and they have probably existing products in their technology stack. So they're like, I don't know where to place you. Are you... Are you this or are you that? Like, you know, we, even with PagerDuty, it was like, you know, we operated in a very complex technical stack that was evolving. So people were like, well, are you an APM solution or are you a log management solution and you send out alerts or what do you really do? So it was very clear that, you know, we weren't really a perfect fit into one of the existing categories. And, you know, so that that was one of the telling reasons, if you will. The other is like, I'm sure at this stage, especially if you're planning to go public and you know, you're trying to establish your position in the market, you started talking to the analyst community and you know, the analyst community is asking you similar questions, right? They have their own market scopes, they have their own quadrants and all these reports that they do. So they're like, well, where, where would I put you? And if they are confused and they're sort of like, you know, uh, trying to force fit you in, in a certain category that you don't agree with, I think that's another sign. So those sort of like, you know, things combined can be very telling. But I think to to your point before, like, you know, then when do you know, okay, well, you know, I don't think I fit into any of these categories. It's time for us to create one. Just because of that, you just can't go ahead and create one category, right? Because there are some additional qualifiers that you have to consider, right? What you're doing, is it really different enough, right? Um, is nobody really doing something like that? Do you that you think that, you know, this requires or mandates a new type of category? Is the market that you want to operate in big enough? Right. And that's an important one, because I think it's also about building that sustainable business. So it's not you know, tied to maybe a specific event. For example, some, you know, a lot of companies or a lot of sort of like, you know, uh, products came about last year due to the pandemic. And like, of course, you know, it's an event that had, you know, again, like impact on a lot of people, a lot of companies. But we know that this is not going to be, you know, a lasting event. So make sure as you're thinking about category creation, you're tying yourself to something that, you know, is sustainable. And then, you know, as you compare yourselves with, Maybe they're not your competitors. Maybe they're like, you know, just your partners that ultimately, you know, there's some co-optation between the companies. And look at those Venn diagrams, right? And then like, think about what is the common space? If there's a lot of sort of like commonality, then probably not ready for category creation. But what you do versus what others do, if the Venn diagram has very little overlap, then that's a good validation uh, for you to think about again, uh, you know, it's the right time to create a category. And so if you go down the path of deciding to create a category, um, the next step is, well, what is the category? <laughs> and so I guess my question there is, how important is the specific name of the category that you come up with and, and how do you define it? Yeah, I think those things are really hard, <laughs> but very important. And words matter, you know, especially if you're thinking about creating a new category, you have to keep it simple. You cannot have fancy words or jargon sort of like, you know, be the definition for the new category that you're creating. And I think if you do that, then people will actually get even more confused than they were prior to you stepping into this new category. So you have to keep in mind, you know, if I tell somebody about this, for the most part, can they understand what are we trying to do, right? Or what the solution is all about? And then second, you know, obviously, as 
product marketeers or even if you have brand folks and you're using an agency, for example, for brainstorming the name and all the great stuff there, I'm sure in-house you'll come up with great ideas, but ultimately it has to stick, right? So going back to the point around simplicity, that is one way to you know just make sure that you're on the right track. The other is, you know, before you do sort of like, you know, think tank session internally, I would again say, reach out to the customers, look into the data. What does the data tell you on where your you know, customers are using and how your customers are using your technology? Talk to the analyst community. You will need their help in establishing that category, right? So you want them to be partners along the way, float ideas with them, get their feedback and you know, get their take. They might give you some really meaningful insights there too. And then you know, just also talk to your customers. Your existing customers know you the best. So you got to talk to them, you know, share your early thinking and ideas with them. And then ultimately, you know, your category creation is lining up to the vision for the company. So it's not just about what you do today, but where are you going tomorrow? So, you know, just getting that feedback from your existing customers is going to be super meaningful. And then last but not least, you know, just on the same thought around, you know, your vision and ultimately what do you want to become as a company? You have to make sure that, you know, you're attaching yourself to something bigger. Your category cannot be attached to something very small. So, you know, if, if I looked at what PagerDuty was doing in its early days, it was an alerting tool. We couldn't call ourselves an alerting tool, right? That's not a category. It, it's not meaningful. It's not sexy. It doesn't sort of like resonate that it's something that, you know, will ultimately transfer in, into a public company or a lasting company. So we started looking at sort of like, you know, what is the bigger story out there? What is really happening in the market as businesses are becoming digital, right? And there is this huge wave, you know, that is sort of like, you know, sweeping all industries. It's forcing everyone to think differently. The most traditional businesses are being forced to go digital. So, you know, what what is our role there? And our role was sort of like, you know, more about aggregating all the insights, streams of data tied to their critical services as companies were getting ready to become digital digital companies. And, you know, it was becoming very critical for them to make sure that their operations environment was running all the time or was on all the time, right? So like, you know, just just being that kind of a business that's always on. And, you know, as we started thinking about those things, we were like, okay, well, you know, businesses are becoming digital. Their operations are becoming digital. They're becoming very complex and they need someone or something or some technology to actually monitor that and manage that in a way where it's not resulting in poor customer experience, which ultimately results in dollars lost, right? Because customers have choices. If you're not giving them the experience they want from you, they have enough choices, you know, just another app on their phone or another website on their device, and they can go ahead and sort of like, you know, just pick somebody else. So this whole thinking and brainstorming around this bigger idea, you know, helped us sort of frame that maybe we should call our category digital operations management, right? That's what ultimately we are doing for our customers. And, you know, it resonated really well with our customers. It resonated really well with our analyst team. And, you know, the company has been using it since. So that's the story there. And last question for us on this company journey. So we're in the late stage. Uh, We're focused on category creation. We've realized that we need to create a category. We've come up with uh, the best possible name for that category that we can. We've tested it with customers and with analysts. And great. So what do we do now? (laughs) Now that we've picked the name of the category, how do we successfully roll out the new category and make it actually stick? 
I think repetition is key, right? And you don't want to be the only ones talking about the category. You know, it almost has to be a chain reaction. If you're able to tell a compelling story around it, your sales teams, your marketing teams, your customers, your community, your analysts, your press relations, everything combined, I think that you know creates sort of like you know the surround sound <laughs> kind of experience where everyone is saying it and I think that repetition that you know ultimately creates that validation in the market and that's what happened for PagerDuty as well. So you have to continue to tell the story because you know you're you're operating in an attention economy. Everyone's trying to tell their story. So you got to use all your channels to continue to reinforce and tell it in a consistent way. That's important. You don't want your sales team to explain the name of the category or the category itself in in a very different way than your marketing team would. So, you know, that's uh, consistency is important. That's awesome. Well, I think that journey gives something for everybody, all the founders, all the operators listening right now, regardless of where they are in their journey and their company's life cycle, there's some good nuggets in there for them to glean uh, on product marketing. So, so that's great. I guess my last question for our conversation here today is, is kind of zooming back out to product marketing sort of writ large. How should product marketing think about responding to unexpected changes and disruptions. So COVID-19 is the obvious example. How does product marketing respond to something like that? Is there an opportunity for agile product marketing or is product marketing something that's more fundamentally long-term oriented? That's a very good and timely question, I suppose. I think for strong product marketing teams, learn and know how to work in an agile and ever-changing environment, right? So again, you know, things, um, especially in the startup environment anyway, can be sometimes ambiguous and fast-changing. So if you're a good product marketing you know, leader, you understand the concept of impermanence of market trends. So that, that to me is sort of like, you know, a fundamental requirement for a good product marketing person. But sometimes the disruption can be really, really big. So, you know, it can be a big market consolidation event or it can be what happened to all of us last year with COVID. So, you know, I think knee-jerk reactions in these extreme situations can be a really bad idea. So, you know, no one really had a playbook for COVID. We all had to sort of like, you know, learn and, you know, learn it all together. And I think, again, sort of like, you know, understand the implications of what was happening, both from a short term and long term perspective. So I think, you know, in that situation, what perhaps, you know, companies can do or good product marketing people can do is, again, go back to first listening to your customer. What does this change really mean for them? And, you know, again, if you're building a lasting business, then that should be your first reaction. So, you know, how can you help your customers? Again, sort of like, you know, how can you provide them or offer them any relief? And then sort of like, you know, be in touch with them and provide that information back to your product sales and success team so they can also reorient their priorities, you know, accordingly. So that that to me is um, the first thing uh, that you can do. I think, you know, the the other thing as sort of like, you know, the market and our macro environment overall changed, right? So what a good product marketing person again can do is that not, uh, again, sort of like think about how do we pivot, but maybe, you know, think how you can reduce your risk exposure, right? Sort of uh, go back to what did you do when you had fewer resources? What did you do when, you know, you didn't have many choices? What actually worked for you? So it's almost like going back to maybe even basics. So, you know, knowing that, you know, uh, if we do what we did best, right, over the last few years, and that caters to maybe 80% of the use cases, 80% of 
our business and customers, that's okay if it reduces your risk exposure. So it's almost like, you know, standardizing your actions based on what you know your strengths are, and then maybe avoiding, you know, heavy lifts associated with any high risk, high reward kind of situations, whether that's like, you know, exploring new markets or edge cases or new strategies for expansion into into different areas and territories. So again, putting that on hold till you figure out, um, you know, what is what is the long-term implication of what's happening around you, especially, like I said, what, what happened with us like with COVID, I think that'll sort of like, you know, keep your business going, will give your teams, again, a focus instead of, you know, paranoia or confusion or any FUD. And then, you know, you slowly can sort of like, you know, start opening up um, beyond sort of like, you know, your standardized or back to basics approach. So I think that can be very meaningful in any situation where things have drastically changed overnight. Well, that's perfect advice about going back to basics, staying focused, going to the customer, and the customer will tell you what direction to, to go in. So that that's perfect. And, and Asta, this has been a great conversation about all things product marketing. I know I've learned a lot, and I have no doubt that the rest of our listeners have as well. So thank you for joining us here today on the Build Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Build. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to stay up to date with all the new episodes. Follow me, Blake Bartlett, on LinkedIn to join in on the conversation and let me know what you think about the show. Join me this season on Build as we look into the brilliant minds scaling Slack, Notion, Atlassian, and more to discover what it takes to build an awesome product and achieve hypergrowth across every stage of maturity, from seed to IPO and beyond. Now, if you're ready, let's build this together. See you next time here on Build.